Chapter 16 of The Lonely Lady of Grosvenor Square. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paige Alcossum, Dallas, Texas. The Lonely Lady of Grosvenor Square by Mrs. Henry de la Pasteur. Chapter 16 The Duchess. The afternoon sunshine brightened the dead moor, and the golden gorse blazed against a deep blue April sky and scudding, dazzling white clouds. The hedgerows were putting forth young leaves, and the baby oaks hardly yet uncrumpling faint yellow foliage above the clumps of primroses and the patches of blue violets which here and there lightened the dry banks. The ducal carriage skirted the open moorland on the one side, and the tall hedgerow on the other, and Joan, seated alone within it, drank the fresh, delicious air through the open window. Dunham followed decorously in a fly with the luggage. She had smiled outright for the first time since her lady's death, when Joan had communicated to her the fact of the invitation. A small, difficult, sour smile, but still a smile of secret pleasure and triumph, though her immediate comment had sounded to Joan extremely irrelevant. "'I dare say William will take care of the little dog.' I wouldn't trust Hewitt. His memory is that unreliable nowadays. Why, Mrs. Dunham, what can my invitation have to do with a little dog? We can't take him, ma'am. I shouldn't advise it. Some people are very fidgety about having dogs on a visit. Do you mean, were you thinking of coming with me? said Jean, with a sinking heart. Of course it's as you wish, ma'am. "'If you would prefer another maid, I have nothing to say,' said Dunham stiffly. "'I never thought of such a thing. Must I take a maid?' "'Of course, if anyone comes, it must be you,' said Joan, much flurried. "'But the Duchess says nothing about it in her letter.' She referred anxiously to the scrawled and coroneted sheet of notepaper. "'How should her grace mention such a thing, ma'am?' said Dunham, in withering tones." It would be as much a matter of course to her to take a maid as a brush and comb. But it's not much as you allow me to do for you, Miss Jane. And, of course, I'm getting old. Oh, Mrs. Dunham, don't, cried her simple lady, almost in tears. You know very well I've never been used to maids. Why should we pretend otherwise, just you and me? I have always done everything for myself. It's not that I don't value and respect you. You know it isn't her voice faltered, though I make many mistakes. "'You'll make far less, ma'am, begging a pardon with me on the watch,' said Dunham, softening. "'No, I can't see as you make many neither, only you're that doubtful of yourself. But it's no novelty for me to stay in big houses, ma'am, for when Miss Marney was young she was always visiting about, and took a footman with her, besides a maid, as a matter of course. If you won't think it a liberty, Miss Jane,' I could very well put you in the way of a lot of little things as you could hardly be expected to know of yourself, as one might say. Of course I should be only very grateful to you if you would, said Joan, and she thought that the increased consideration which Dunham now displayed towards her denoted that the old woman was growing fond of her at last. With Mrs. Dunham to watch upstairs, and Cousin Dennis downstairs, she reflected, I should think I can hardly go much amiss after all. Nevertheless, she was not a little anxious as the carriage turned into the park. Here the rolling slopes of emerald green, alternating with the bare brown patches of shaven bracken, 
were crowned with great spreading oaks and giant elms, casting long shadows across the turf. The white road gleamed in the sunshine. The deep waters of a lake lay still and glassy, reflecting newly leaved bushes and motionless dead stems. Oh, earth, how beautiful and how silent, thought little Jeanne, for here it was the overcrowded and noisy city that seemed to her remote and dreamlike. The silence ended as the carriage drew up before the house, of which the main entrance, rather curiously, was at the back, within view of extensive stables and kennels and a newly built red-tiled tennis court. Joan was now ushered round tall Spanish leather screens, which sheltered the entrance to the outer vestibule, into an immense oak-paneled hall, where a tea-table was drawn up before a huge fire of burning logs. Various people were seated around, talking and laughing, as it seemed, at the top of their voices, and several large boarhounds were lying or standing about in picturesque attitudes. The Duchess was so unlike the fashionable, velvet-clad, long-trained personage of Jean's recollection that she hardly recognized her hostess, who advanced to meet her with outstretched hands and a very kind smile of welcome. She now wore a short and scanty skirt of battered, mud-splashed tweed that barely reached her ankles, a loose, open, baggy coat of the same material, which caused her rotund figure to look perfectly shapeless and a knitted tam-o'-shanter perched on her gray hair above her ruddy, healthy countenance. "'The rector's wife would never have been seen in such a gown,' said poor Jean, afterwards describing the appearance of the Duchess to Dunham. "'Don't you mind thinking of the rector's wife,' advised the cautious Dunham. "'Forget her and all her ways. Watch her grace, ma'am, or since her grace is a bit eccentric, watch the other ladies here.' The fashions is changed, no doubt, since me and my poor lady stayed about, but what they does is right. Some were dressed like the Duchess, and some in beautiful long-flowing robes of lace and pale colors, like evening dresses, only not cut low, and one or two in riding habits, said poor Jean, hopelessly confused, and one or two of the gentlemen in boots and breeches. "'They'll have come in from hunting and taken a cup of tea before going to change,' said Dunham. "'And the ones in their tea-gowns has changed, and the others very like been walking late. "'I wish I had thought to get you a tea-gown, but it seemed to me you was too young,' said the anxious old woman. "'But I'll pick up all I can in the room, ma'am, you may depend.' Jeanne knew not what the room might be, but she placed implicit reliance on her faithful attendant." The Duchess introduced Jean to the three ladies and the two dogs nearest the tea-table, and then said, "'I believe you know my son,' in her loud and cheerful voice, but with very little idea, as Dennis shook hands with her visitor, how very well acquainted they were. "'Where's Dermot? It is Dermot who knows your brother so well. But he shall take you into dinner to-night,' said the Duchess. "'By the by, I hope you have good news of your brother. He's in Somaliland, isn't he?' and the Duchess turned her attention to somebody else, without waiting for Jean's answer. The tea was bitter with long-standing, and the butter toast so cold that old Granny Morgan would have thrown it into the fire before presenting it to a guest, but Jean reflected that great ladies cannot be expected to understand such details, and decided, as she ate and drank in the utmost alarm everything that was set before her, that the tales she had heard of the carelessness of servants in large houses must be only too true. 
Having finished her tea and scorched the side of her face next to the roaring log fire to a perfect crimson hue, she was invited to inspect her room, and the Duchess led her thither herself with great kindness of manner, talking all the time in her loud, authoritative gabble, and never waiting for an answer. A habit which occasionally relieved her hearers of embarrassment, for her questions were often inconvenient. "'So you live all by yourself in your great house. You must be very dull, but I dare say you have plenty of visitors.' Here Joan would fain to have told her that the Duke of Monaghan was her only visitor, but the Duchess gave her no time, and she was too frightened to interrupt. "'It was always on my conscience that I never visited upon your aunt as my dear Duke wished me to do,' thus she alluded to her departed husband. "'But you know my son's accident, which happened there, made me declare that I would never enter that house again. So you mustn't think it unfriendly if I never do. The resolution was taken, you see, before you were born or thought of. Why, you can't be twenty. Jeanne tried to interpolate a correct statement of her age, but the Duchess had flown to another subject, as her custom was, pursuing her own train of thought, undisturbed. "'I suppose you have a companion. Companions are great bores. I had one for a time, but she had neuralgia so badly I was glad to see the last of her. It was quite depressing,' here the Duchess laughed heartily. "'Whenever I wanted her, I was always told that she had just taken antipyrin.' And of course, you know, one must not stir until the effects of that have passed off. So bad for the heart. I hope you never drug yourself. However, I am told everyone does nowadays. I never touch anything of the kind. Here is your room. Now do make yourself quite comfortable and at home, and look upon me as a mother all the time you're here, my dear, for I'm very fond of chaperoning girls, never having had daughters of my own. Jeanne was quite astonished at so much kindness, but before she had time to utter her gratitude, the great lady was already speeding away down the passage, calling to her favorite boarhound, who had followed her upstairs with stately velvet tread. The bark of the Duchess, it was always said, was worse than her bite, but she barked so loud and so long that a bite might have been more easily endured. Thus, though she was in no sense a bad-hearted woman, but on the contrary a very kind one, she was unpopular among her father's people and on her own estate, where her kindnesses were received so thanklessly that she might be almost excused for forming a poor opinion of her tenant's capacity for gratitude. But a sharp tongue may inflict wounds that cod liver oil, chicken broth, and port wine cannot cure, nor do coals and blankets necessarily warm hearts chilled and offended by fault-finding carried to excess, so that whilst her sons, and more especially Lord Dermot, who was to inherit her property, were exceedingly popular at Shallonsleigh. Their mother, who had been born and bred there, was at once disliked and feared, to an extent of which she was, happily, very little aware. Dunham had paused in her unpacking, and made her old-fashioned curtsy as her grace entered the apartment, receiving a good-natured nod in reply, and the Duchess was in high good humor as she stumped away to her own rooms. She hated smart, self-assertive young ladies and pert, independent maids, but Jeanne's maid was ancient and respectable to such a degree that her mere appearance was a voucher for her mistress, and Jeanne herself was timid and gentle as could be wished, while she evidently preferred listening to her elders to talking herself. 
the duchess asked no more of a young woman than that she should be respectable retiring and rich and she decided that jean possessed all these recommendations to her favor she questioned her son regarding the riches to make sure but as she answered her own questions the duke did not feel it incumbent upon him to correct her though he knew very well that if his mother discovered later that she was wrong in any of her assumptions she would blame him for her mistake oh mrs dunham have you ever seen a prettier room cried jeanne the moment she was left alone with her maid do yes ma'am but i wish you could remember to call me plain dunham and be done with it i'm sure i don't know what her grace would think to hear you i will i will indeed dunham said jeanne obedient though crestfallen our spare rooms at orset were far finer than this though of course you being an unmarried lady wouldn't be given one of the best still one can't keep london bedrooms fresh and sweet and lavender scented like this and i could almost think myself back at the old place said dunham sighing as she looked round the pleasant spacious country bedroom with its chintz curtain four-poster white dressed in chimney ornaments and the fresh daffodils on the muslin draped toilet table the big mullioned windows looked on to a stretch of wild park over which a herd of deer was quietly moving and through the bare branches of distant woodlands blue hills were faintly to be discerned it is so peaceful and so beautiful jeanne said she leaned out of the open window to enjoy the last long rays of the afternoon sunshine and cool her hot cheeks and her thoughts flew to the burning desert which held her brother captive far from this fresh and fragrant english country louis had always loved the springtime and his letters from india and from africa had yearly breathed forth his longings and his regrets oh god send him safely back to me prayed little jeanne but i mustn't think of him now or i shall cry and he would want me to look my best and do him honor a servant presently brought a tray full of sprays of hothouse flowers to the door and joan chose some heliotrope and maidenhair fern to wear in her white gown can't i help you mrs i mean dunham she ventured to say as the old woman folded and unfolded and sorted and arranged the clothes of her own choosing with heartfelt pride no miss jane that is the one thing you mustn't do you should be lying down on the sofa ma'am and reading a book or taking a doze and getting yourself as fresh as you can to look well when you're dressed that's what ladies ought to do at this hour but i'm not tired you will be ma'am for they'll sit up hours later than you're accustomed to dinner at half-past eight and they seldom sits down i hear until nearly nine and there you'll have to be smiling away as if you never wanted to go to bed again dunham anxiously instructed her not to mention that you'd be out of my way on the sofa ma'am jeanne obediently reposed herself upon the sofa in preparation for being tired presently but the interval between the dressing gong and the dinner hour being rather shorter than dunham expected she was obliged in the end to hurry over her toilet and only just missed being late after all as she went downstairs she endeavored to sustain her failing courage by dwelling upon reflections calculated to allay nervousness and inspire heroism one can only live a minute at a time a minute at a time i have but to sit still and watch what other people do it is not my dinner this time thank heaven i got over my first interview with the duchess very well ce n'est que la première pas qui coûte 
Jeanne was proud of her French, and this quotation brought her triumphantly to the first broad landing, which was decked with hothouse plants and hung with frowning portraits of ducal ancestors. My frock is like a dream, but I cannot think it is I inside it. Oh, that I may not disgrace it by my behavior. I cannot remember the names of any of the people I was introduced to, but Cousin Dennis said I must not repeat people's names when I am talking to them, so perhaps they will not find out I have forgotten. Jean-Marie Charlotte de Cossette, is this being worthy of your forefathers? Would Anne-Marie Charmonesse, Comtesse de Lonsigne, Chapitre Noble de Beaubourg, have gone to the guillotine shaking at the knees like this? This outburst of noble indignation brought her to the foot of the grand staircase, where a liveried giant, in powder and knee-breeches, stood in the now deserted hall and affably indicated the suite of anterooms which led to the saloon where the party was assembled. Worst come to worst, thought Jeanne in desperation. I can but leave the house early tomorrow morning before anyone is up. And with this last consoling reflection, she entered the drawing-room. She looked so much younger than her actual age that her very apparent shyness was more becoming than awkward, and evoked fresh approval from the duchess who, as soon as she espied through her glasses the timid entry of Jeanne, made haste to introduce her son Dermot, who was to take his friend's sister into dinner. I dare say I shall have Cousin Dennis on the other side, and I must not forget that this is Louis's friend, thought Jeanne, faintly, as she took the tall young man's proffered arm. But, as she was the least important person in the room, she found herself almost at the other end of the long table from the duke, of whose fair head she caught only occasional glimpses across the bowers of spring blossom and the massive gold plate with which the festive board was laden. But Dermot, whose native shyness was scarcely less overpowering than her own, though he had plenty of experience to counterbalance it, spoke of Louis, and the ice was not only broken, but actually thawed in a moment. Her bright little face, with its fresh red bloom of lip and cheek, and its long-lashed brown eyes, beautiful in shape and soft in expression, was turned towards her partner constantly. She listened with eager delight to the anecdotes of Louis, which, pleased with the success he seldom attained as a raconteur, the young man contrived to fish up from the depths of his memory. He knew Louis well, had shared more than one scrape with him, but concerning this he was prudently silent, and played cricket with him, been in action with him, and they were together in hospital at Kimberley. "'But he never told me he had been in hospital,' said Joan. "'Lord bless you! We were in and out like rabbits. Probably forgot to mention it,' said the diplomatic Dermot. "'No, it was that he was afraid to make me anxious,' Joan said, with loyal admiration. But she did not like to think Louis could keep even so small a secret as this from her. "'He promised to tell me everything,' she thought." I was in batting with him once at Sandhurst, when he took his century against some local team or other, said Dermot, omitting to mention his own almost equally fine performance on the same occasion. Lord, how he made me run! He nearly killed me! I'm not so thin as he is! And he laughed all over his broad, fair face, a laugh so good-natured and so mirthful that Jean joined in it without knowing why. But he was not obliged to spend more time than he liked in making conversation, for Jeanne was willing to talk of her brother, as she had been to listen to Lord Dermot's reminiscences of Louis, so that he was enabled to devote himself for long periods entirely to his dinner, which he did with great energy and appetite. 
the gentleman on Joan's other side was afforded an excellent view of a thick knob of brown hair and a very white and dimpled neck and shoulder, but he scarcely saw even the profile of his pretty neighbor, and no opportunity of addressing her was granted to him. "'Was it all right? Did I do well?' she asked the Duke anxiously after dinner. "'Perfectly,' he said encouragingly. "'I hope you talked a little to Mr. German, who sat next to you?' He is such an interesting man, and a great friend of my own. I carefully never spoke to him, said poor Joan in horror. I thought I must not speak to anybody until I was introduced. Your neighbor at dinner is an exception, said the Duke, laughing at her dismay. Never mind, you can make it up tomorrow. Mr. Corset, come and play billiard fives, cried Lord Dermot, interrupting. Unless you are a bridger, are you a bridger? As soon as she had learnt what was meant by the term, Jean assured him earnestly that she was not, and with a bright look of apology at Dennis, for how was it possible to refuse the friend of Louis, she went off with Lord Dermot and two or three of the younger members of the party to be initiated into the mysteries of billiard fives. The Duke walked to the piano in the now brilliantly lighted hall and began to improvise, and a young lady who meant to marry him, if she could, sat within his view in a becoming attitude and listened with rapt attention. At the close of each movement she hoped he would leave off playing and come talk to her, but it invariably glided into another, until at last she gave up in despair and went away, not daring to interrupt him, for it was known that to be interrupted when he was making music was the one thing which ruffled the Duke's even temper. His improvisations ended with a crash when Jean returned from the billiard-room with the rest of the players, all talking and laughing tumultuously. She came straight to the piano, with flushed cheeks and brilliant eyes, smiling and joyous. "'Oh, Cousin Dennis, it was so delightful. I wish you had come. We had so much fun. What have you done to your hand?' "'It is only a little bruise.' She held out a fair arm that shone through the veiling of white gauze and showed him a blue mark on her wrist. Lord Dermot would tie a handkerchief round it, but it is nothing at all. Dermot came and stood beside her, towering over her, and smiling fatuously as he pulled at the flaxen down which shaded his upper lip. Billiard fives can be an abominably rough game. You should have taken better care of her, said Dennis, and the brother's glances met over Jeanne's unconscious bent brown head as she examined her bruise. The one pair of blue eyes was angry, the other astonished. Dermot noted the unusual sternness of the Duke's low voice, and observed the pallor of his face, and suddenly, recalling Jean's innocent references to his brother's visits in Grosvenor Square, a light broke in upon his mind. "'It doesn't hurt a bit, you know,' said Jean, looking into the Duke's face. "'And we won, which was all that mattered.' The Duchess remarked the group at the piano as she presently entered the hall, in the best of spirits, for she had won five shillings on the evening— and she smiled her most agreeable smile as the work of distributing the flat candles began, distinguishing Jean with a special notice as the ladies proceeded to mount the grand staircase and bidding her good-night at her own door. "'It is all gone off very well indeed, Dunham,' said Jean, greeting the old woman, who awaited her by the blazing fire in her own room. "'And I don't think I ever enjoyed myself so much in my life.' "'I'm sure I'm very glad to hear it, ma'am.' said Dunham affably. "'And you looked very well, Miss Jane, for me and some of the other maids were standing up there in the dark gallery and peeping down at you all in the hall when you came out of dinner.' "'You should not have waited up for me. 
I could have managed very well for myself. I hope I know my work better than that, um, though returning you many thanks for the kind thought, said Dunham. But her tone was still more deferential, for had she not heard her young lady requested to look upon her grace as a mother, and was it for her to be finding fault with a possible future duchess? What had seemed like rustic ignorance on the part of Jeanne would soon appear mere gracious consideration for her inferiors, and Dunham prepared herself to regard with respectful indulgence the eccentricities of one who found favor in the eyes of a duke. In the meantime, Lord Dermot and his elder brother found space and opportunity for a few words together and alone. I only ask for fair play, Dermot. If you are in earnest, you have as much right as I. If not, for God's sakes, let her alone, said the duke with white lips. The poor old chap must be balmy, absolutely balmy, to go on like this thought his astonished brother, but aloud he said, in much the same soothing tones he would have adopted towards a lunatic, "'My dear old fellow, don't be an ass. I never set eyes on the girl before the whole course of my existence. I ask you, is it likely?' "'There is such a thing as love at first sight,' said the duke sternly. Dermot dared not smile. "'To be sure there is,' he said good-humouredly. "'But I solemnly swear—' "'Don't.' said the duke, who had heard many such assertions on other subjects from the same lips, and was no longer impressed. "'I only spoke out like this, Dermot,' he said simply, "'because it appears to me it would be foolish to throw away my own happiness, and perhaps—who knows?' in a lower tone. "'Hers. For want of a word between you and me, who have always more or less understood each other.' "'It would be simply Tommyrot.' said Dermot, translating the duke's measured words into the emphatic language best understood of himself, and he helped himself with emotion to his third whiskey and soda since dinner. I don't think you are the fellow to let a few days idle, I hate the word, flirtation, come between you and me. It wouldn't be worth it, said the duke. But she's very young, or at least she's very inexperienced, which comes to the same thing, and— and but mind dermot i'm not asking any kind of sacrifice from you if if it's with you as it is with me in that case we'll shake hands over it and let the best man win but my dear old chap it isn't almost shouted dermot i give you my word such an idea never even entered my head i'll leave the house tomorrow morning if you wish with the greatest pleasure in life no no "'Well, anyway, here's luck to your wooing,' said Dermot, with enthusiasm born of whiskey. "'Have you thought what our parent will say when she gets wind of it?' "'I don't mean her to get wind of it until it's settled one way or the other.' "'But she will. Trust her for nosing it out.' "'The more especially if you give yourself away as you have done to-night,' thought Dermot, but this to himself. "'There is nothing for her to find out.' Miss de Corset herself has no suspicion of my feelings, so naturally no one else has, said the infatuated young man, innocently. Well, well, said Dermot, as gravely as he could. It's I who am responsible for her coming here, so it is I who will be blamed if the match isn't approved. I'm sure I don't care. Her grace can say very little to me that she hasn't said before, if it comes to that. A disreputable, idle, extravagant, thoughtless, spendthrift, careless of the best interests of the family, etc. Dermot, 
said his brother nervously. I wish you would not speak as though it were a certainty. I haven't even asked her yet, and you forget that my personal disadvantages. Bosh, said Dermot. Let me tell you that if you think she'd marry me for any reason except— Dermot concealed a smile. Poor Dennis, he thought. I suppose they're always like that. However, in this case, perhaps his game leg makes him extra funky. What's the good of all this shilly-shallying? Still, if by any chance she did take it into her head to refuse him, I believe he'd go clean off his chump. This reflection caused him to ply his brother with excellent disinterested counsel. Look here, Dennis, he said gravely. I advise you, and you know I've had lots of experience in these matters, interpolated the Lothario of twenty-four. I advise you to go straight ahead and, and take her by storm, don't you know? There ain't any reason on earth why she shouldn't be fond of you, he said awkwardly. Only, as she's an uncommonly pretty girl, I'd be hanged if she isn't, he finished the whiskey and soda. While you're thinking about it and mooning over your music and all that, some other fellow will cut in and carry her off under your nose if you don't take care. I was always a bit of a muff, wasn't I, Dermot? said the Duke, in a tone of somewhat melancholy raillery. Not the sort of fellow to take anything by storm. Perhaps Dermot in his heart rather agreed that his eldest brother was a bit of a muff, for he was not sufficiently cultivated himself to appreciate the cultivation of Dennis, and occasionally mistook the gentleness and gravity born of suffering and solitude for want of manliness. But he was at once too good-natured and too fond of Dennis to have ever given utterance to his opinion, and he had no idea that the Duke had divined it. He clapped his brother encouragingly upon the shoulder, and expressed both his sympathy and his affection as tersely as possible, in the emphatic utterance of his favorite monosyllable. Rot. End of chapter 16